I want you to hit me as hard as you can. The story of 112 Ocean Avenue, Amityville, New York, can be thought of as a story in two parts. In the first, a truly inexplicable tragedy, the senseless murders of an innocent family in the middle of the night by the most unthinkable of suspects. The second part is, if possible, even stranger, the spooky story of a completely unrelated family mysteriously affected by the horror that struck the first. The stories of these families have been told many times, in movies, documentaries, true crime shows, books, you name it. Some who told these tales are the survivors themselves, which might make you think the undeniable truth of this grand horror story would be common knowledge. And yet, even with so many supposed facts at our disposal, what really happened at 112 Ocean Avenue remains in question. Even after all these years, we wonder about the events that inspired the original book and the 1979 film known as the Amityville Horror. So let's take a look at what we know, what we think we know, and what might never be known. Or in other words, what the f**k really happened to this movie? We'll start with the indisputable. On the morning of November 13, 1974, six members of the DeFeo family, four children and their two parents, were murdered in cold blood. The DeFeos were considered an upstanding family in the posh South Shore town of Amityville, except for son Ronald DeFeo Jr., who was known by locals as an addict and unruly troublemaker. Ronald was the only survivor of the massacre, and suspicion quickly fell upon him from the community and from the authorities. Eventually, the official story was that Ronald grabbed a rifle around 3.15 in the morning, walked into his parents' bedroom, and shot them both. Then, he proceeded to the bedroom of his two younger brothers, executing them. He went to an adjacent bedroom where his sister slept, and killed her. Finally, he went up to the third floor and ended the life of his other sister. In the span of minutes, Ronald DeFeo Jr. had murdered his entire immediate family, and he eventually confessed to the chilling act. Still, there were questions. Even considering the kind of gun that DeFeo was using, a 35 caliber lever-action rifle, it was apparent that none of the family members had moved while he went from room to room, shooting each of them in turn. None of the neighbors reported hearing the loud blasts of the rifle either. Some wondered whether there were accomplices involved, or if something far more sinister was at play. DeFeo was clearly out of his mind, according to many experts, either mentally ill, on drugs, or perhaps both. At one point, DeFeo testified that a demon made him do it, that he had no control over what he was doing. Questions eventually arose regarding Ronald's sister, Dawn, one of the victims, with some speculating that she was heavily involved with the killings, that she and Ronald planned the massacre together before she was finally eliminated by her own brother. This is something DeFeo eventually claimed was true, though his story has changed plenty of times over the years. While we may never know exactly why Ronald DeFeo Jr. did what he did, the end result was six life sentences for the crime, and the shocking nightmare at 112 Ocean Avenue seemed to be concluded. That horrifying incident, rife with its own questions, was but a gruesome backdrop for what most think of as the real Amityville Horror. September 13, 1977 saw the release of the book, The Amityville Horror, A True Story. It was penned by Jay Anson, but was based on the accounts of George and Kathy Lutz, the couple who had moved into 112 Ocean Avenue after it had been put on the market for cheap following the DeFeo murders. The Lutz family, which included three young children, knew of the house's bleak history. The murders had happened only a year prior, but they agreed they would accept what had transpired, as the house was perfect for their needs. 
but the trouble began almost immediately for the Lutzes, and what ensued was a month-long nightmare they barely escaped from, depending on who you believe. And this is where our analysis becomes tricky, because while the original film based on the Lutz family's experiences is not completely faithful to the stories told by George, Kathy, and their children, it shares plenty of similarities. But just how believable were those stories told by the Lutzes? The movie version of the Amityville Horror is remembered for that infamous growl of Get out! The flies attacking the priest, those ominous windows, the bleeding walls, some serious toilet trouble, and of course, a bleary-eyed James Brolin chopping more wood than Paul Bunyan. It's a classic haunted house melodrama with a reliable setup. A lovable young family, hoping for a fresh start, moves into a new house, undeterred by its very dark past. Almost immediately, things go south. Dad wakes up violently every night at the same time. The mother, played by Margot Kidder in her first big post-Superman role, has shocking visions of the murders that took place where she sleeps. The youngest daughter starts talking to an imaginary friend. She says she wants me to live here forever and ever, so we can all play together. And the local priest is scared shitless of the place, and for some inexplicable reason can't seem to contact the family to warn them. But as a movie, nostalgia might lift it up for some, but it's a pretty routine affair, mostly notable for the over-the-top lead performances and a few of those memorable visuals. What has kept it alive throughout the years is that connection to the true version of the events. The idea that what we witness in the film could be even half of what really happened. An irresistible prospect for those with an interest in the paranormal. But let's assume for the moment that the Lutz's account is true, if slightly exaggerated, and take a look at how the film depicts their 28 days of alleged peril. December 18th, 1975, the day the Lutz's moved in. A friend of the real Lutz's insists that George get the house blessed by a priest. The holy man comes on the first day and feels the sewing room is too cold, and he hears a grumbled out, and even says he feels a slap. In the film, the priest, played with mouth-foaming ferocity by Rod Steiger, is in the house for no more than five minutes before he's attacked by hundreds of flies, something everyone involved agreed didn't happen. We also get the classic snarl of that has become synonymous with the film, and perhaps horror films in general. Get out. The priest flees the house without even talking to the Lutzes, but is still a constant presence throughout the film. The real priest did contend that he received boils on his hands, which is reflected in the film. Also apparently on the Lutzes' first day on the premises, the family dog Harry almost killed itself after jumping over a fence and choking on its leash. George and his stepson Daniel were able to save it in time. Thankfully, this event is not depicted in the film. The real house had many cold spots throughout. The temperature would sometimes dip by as much as 20 degrees in any given room. George was supposedly never able to get warm and became obsessed with firewood, constantly chopping it up and throwing it in the fireplace. This is certainly a running theme throughout the movie as George can't chop the stuff fast enough. George's relationship with the children is presented as loving and tender in the movie, at least before he's under the influence of the evil within the house. But Daniel Lutz's account of things is quite different. In the fascinating documentary, My Amityville Horror, Daniel claims he and his stepfather George always had a hostile relationship that only got worse once they moved into the haunted homestead. In the film, the children, especially the two boys, renamed Greg and Matt, are barely given any characterization. Almost all of the focus is on the adult couple, that is, until the daughter starts talking to Jody, an imaginary friend that happens to take the form of a shape-shifting pig. 
Nonsense? Well, other family members said they also saw this apparition, which Daniel Lutz described as a cartoon caricature of an angry pig. They also claim to have seen cloven hoof tracks in the snow, something that has been heavily questioned by skeptics. In the film, we see Jody the demon pig briefly. First, it's demonic red eyes, then it's full form in a window. Let's just say it might have been best if this element had been left out of the adaptation, even if it is, um, accurate? The real Kathy Lutz claimed that women were charmed by the house, while men became infested with violent reactions. In the film, the only significant female character is a friend, who happens to be a psychic, and she is most definitely not a fan of the house. It gives me the creeps. Her husband, who is George's business partner, is not altered in any way when in the house. 315 is a recurring motif, with characters often awakened at that time screaming. That was the approximate time Ronald DeFeo began his shooting spree. Convenient detail or horrifying coincidence? Either way, it's consistent with tales the real Lutzes told. George Lutz said they once went through the entire house reciting the Lord's Prayer, which eventually caused disembodied voices to shout, Will you stop? In the film, we see George and Kathy go from room to room, reciting a prayer and holding up a crucifix, although we don't hear any ghosts begging for them to stop. In a harrowing moment, young Daniel's hands were smashed by a window. It took several people to lift it up and free him. In the documentary, Daniel described the damage to his hands as being severe, and yet when the parents brought him downstairs to patch him up, his hands were apparently fine, except for one pinky. In the film, the incident also occurs, but not much is made of it. It's mostly written off with a brief scene of George and Kathy in the hospital parking lot saying, Amazing. Not one broken bone. To hear Daniel Lutz tell it, he was actually one of the main targets of the spirits, or whatever they were, claiming one time he was possessed by something for at least half an hour. He also says he and his brother Christopher were tossed around their bedroom on the family's last night in the house. Neither event is in the film, but as an aside, you really should check out the documentary, My Amityville Horror, if you want Daniel's bizarre take on what happened to his family. One of the allegations Daniel lays at George's feet is that his stepfather was interested and involved with the occult, that he was capable of telekinesis among other things, and this dabbling in the paranormal helped spur on all the frightening activity in the house. This element is completely left out of the movie, and indeed omitted from most versions of the story although brother Christopher has indicated in interviews that he too believes George's interest in the occult was to blame for the supernatural happenings. One unusual way the spirits purportedly tormented the real family was by playing very loud band music in the house during the night. A ghostly marching band evidently strode through the house, disrupting George's sleep. This is in the film, although in a fairly muted fashion. George just hears some music coming from an indeterminate place as he wanders about for a bit. One of the more famous scenes in the movie sees a babysitter get locked into a closet by the mischievous invisible friend Jody, while the daughter looks on dispassionately. This was a complete fabrication strictly for the film. It was even featured again in the 2005 remake with Ryan Reynolds. Goddamn babysitter's an idiot. In one dramatic moment in the movie, the Lutzes and their friends find a hidden red room in the cellar, which may contain the spirits of whatever is haunting the place. The Lutz's psychic friend flips out when they discover the room, which was helpfully sniffed out by the family dog, and George sees a strange apparition of himself inside. This could be the passage to hell. In reality, the room was nothing special. The subsequent owners of the house said it was simply a small closet that wasn't concealed in any way. Whether or not this tiny room was home to pure evil is still up for debate. 
One major detail in the book and film is that the house was built on top of, you guessed it, an Indian burial ground. The claim is that the Shinnecock Indians would leave their mad and dying members at this site. But it's now common knowledge that the Shinnecock Indians didn't reside in the Amityville area, nor were they prone to abandoning their helpless sick. Another theoretical culprit behind the supernatural troubles is John Ketchum, who in the movie is described as a sadistic witch who was buried underneath the Lutz's home. There's nothing out there to validate this, although researching the name reveals that there were several families with the last name Ketchum who lived in the Amityville area centuries ago. Soon after the Lutzes fled 112 Ocean Avenue, they began putting out feelers to paranormal investigators in the hopes that they could get to the bottom of what happened in their house. They also reached out to a lawyer named William Weber, who just happened to be Ronald DeFeo's defense attorney. Weber claims that he told the Lutzes details of the DeFeo household, details that subsequently made it into the couple's Amityville book about their own horrors, with appropriate alterations, of course. The Lutzes denied this charge. But the book was published and was an instant smash success, sending the Lutzes on a busy and lucrative media tour. They maintained that the story was true, and the public seemed to believe them. And even if it wasn't true, it was still a compelling tale. The author of the book, Jay Anson, reportedly told people he was only interested in telling a good story, not an accurate one, and to make money, naturally, though the Lutzes stood by the author's depiction of the events. The 1979 film adaptation was similarly successful. George Lutz wasn't too impressed with it, remarking on how many of the scenes sprang from the imagination of the film's producers. One thing George and the rest of the family can agree on, the 2005 remake was even further removed from the quote-unquote true story, with son Christopher calling it disgusting. That didn't happen. Again, that's Hollywood. And George at one point attempting to sue the producers to halt its release. Plenty of people maintain that the Lutz's account of their terrible month at 112 Ocean Avenue is valid. That includes the psychics who investigated the house, such as Lorraine Warren, best known as the basis for the lead in The Conjuring films. Subsequent owners of the property have reported no evidence of ghosts, or demons, or bleeding walls, or glowing-eyed pigs, or anything supernatural. Ultimately, the factual accuracy of the Lutz's initial accounts of the events at 112 Ocean Avenue are up to you. Those who really want to believe might buy into the strange and nebulous stories of the family. The skeptics among us will think about how much of the story was contrived or, short of that, heavily embellished. But some peculiar things went on in that house between mid-December and the end of January. Of that, there is little doubt. As to why the story has always been out of focus, with details changing here and there, George Lutz put it down to the trauma of the event. He once said, If we had tried to perpetrate some kind of a hoax, I think we would have been much more sure of when and how things happened, because we would have been inventing them. On that point, we can probably take him at his word. The Amityville Horror. One house, two monumental mysteries. Why did Ronald DeFeo kill his entire family? Did an eager couple exploit the heinous act by making up one of the most sensational and creepy stories in modern times and passing it off as truth? As of right now, no movie has provided the definitive answer. Perhaps one day all the facts will come out, but that doesn't seem very likely. So for now, we just have to form our own opinions on what the f*** really happened to the Amityville Horror. <laughs>